0: Uh, thank you, Ben. This is Tony Lagreca here with Courage to Hope, and tonight we have a very special guest. We're actually keeping him up because he's over on in France, and it's six hours. He's six hours ahead of us, so if he seems a little tired, that's probably why you're you're, you're hearing that. Um, his name is Pierre Fallet, and he is from what town in France are you from?
1: Courcelles-sur-Mer, on Beach.
0: Okay, and. Pierre uh, took myself and my grandson about a week ago and toured me around Normandy and all the different beaches in Normandy about primarily a D-Day trip. And I got to tell you that here I am, 74 years old. I had an uncle who actually landed on Normandy and actually he landed on Utah Beach. And I thought I knew a lot about it. But after I went there and you see it, and you get to understand, um, what really happened that day on June 6, 1945, 40, 1945, correct? 44. 44. Um, we got to Berlin on 45. Yeah. Um, and so, and Pierre really explained it to me in a different way. I mean, Hollywood lets us hear it a certain way or see it a certain way. And it's not quite like that, you know, um, and Pierre was just outstanding research he's done. Not an old guy, but he's a guy who's interviewed many people from from uh, World War II, many people who have been on the beach, a lot of French people who live there. And he knows more than I could have imagined. So Pierre, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for yes. having me.
0: Yes, um, so Pierre, where did you get Um, When did you start getting all this interest? How old were you when you really wanted to learn about what happened on D-Day?
1: What happened on D-Day?
0: Yeah, when did you get interested in World War II and all the stuff that you know?
1: Okay, so it was in 2002. My father took me to my first Memorial Day. It was in Wood, which is the first battle for the United States Marine Corps, because I was born there. It was in 2002, and then I started to read World War II and World War I books, and this is how my passion for history arrived.
0: Well, it's a good passion to have, and it's it's great that you're able to um, take care of people who come over from other countries, and you're giving them uh, the real feel for what it's about. So let's talk about um, the preparation for the landing. And approximately, uh, this is something I was unaware of. How many ships were there out there on the day of the landing? Uh, about eight thousand. Eight thousand.
1: Yeah, approximately. I I uh, I don't know precisely the number, but yes, it's about eight thousand.
0: See, in my brain, I would have never thought anywhere near that number. And how many men were on all the ships and and that then that part of it roughly. Um.
1: So we have about 14, about 14,000 men which trained at the Airsoft Training Center for training for the landing in Normandy. But I do, not, I do not know, unfortunately, precisely the number of men who, who stormed the beaches in Normandy.
0: Okay, so can you explain uh, another thing? It's from, from Utah Beach to the other end of the, the first beach. Um, what's the distance
1: it's about it's between it's between sixty and seventy miles.
0: Okay, and that's uh-huh. something that I never realized that they were so far apart. Oh, I yeah. was under the impression that they were kind uh, of like you know
1: actually it's not miles, it's kilometers. That's still far
0: apart yeah <laughs> yeah, it's still in the in the fifties in miles, so um also. Let's start off with, with um, Utah beach. Uh, they all landed at the same time, correct?
1: Yeah, 6.30 of the morning.
0: In the morning, but the night before, we had paratroopers dropping down.
1: Yes, and so we had- Explain how air- that worked. Yes, so we have two airborne divisions which were dropped in the outskirts of Utah beach to seize bridges and crossroads, I would say to isolate Utah beach, for the infantry which will land at 6.30 on Beach.
0: And what were some of the surprises that the paratroopers found when they landed?
1: So when the, parat- when the paratroopers landed, uh, many of them drowned into, the flo- um, into the swamps because all of the area, I would say, in the outskirts of Beach is made of swamps. So when Rommel became the commander of the Atlantic Wall on Western Europe, he rapidly understood that the area inland in the outskirts of Utah Beach was, from a military point of view, an important crossroad with the town of Carentan. So he was, I would say, trying to find a way how it would be possible to protect this area. And unfortunately for the Allies, I would say Rommel had an interest in history. And while he was reading a book about the former French Emperor Napoleon. He noticed that Napoleon, to prevent the British to invade Normandy, 200 years ago, Napoleon took the decision to close all of the dams, so the level of the water could could rise and then to flood the entire area. So this is why Rommel did in November, uh, yes, in November 1943, to I would say to prevent any landing from the sky or from the sea.
0: People to understand, it was like you had the beach, and the beach was so many feet wide. But then, right yeah. behind the beach was this was this swamp that was six to eight feet deep.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, we can, if we control Utah Beach, control Utah Beach, I would say is the first step. But if the twelve-inch divisions do not control do not control, I would say the exits uh, in land, the infantry troops on the beach are sitting ducks because the wind. We need to control before exits, So four roads which run from the beach to make it to inland because everything was flooded by the Germans, and it took six months for Rommel to flood the entire area.
0: Okay, six months. So and uh, so did the the um, did the Allies have any idea that the water was there, or were they so, surprised? Uh, it's um,
1: it's funny because in the reports of the 101st Airborne, it is written that some, some men have to jump uh, in a place called, actually, it's not a place, it's the dam. It's a dam. It's the dam of La Barquette. And who controls, I would say, this dam controls the level of water around Carrenton. And it's funny because it is written in the reports of the 101st Airborne that the paratroopers troopers have to jump and to take this dam to prevent the Germans to flood the area so i would say yes they were aware that the Germans flooded the swamps
0: but even if they if they got there and, and they were successful that would still would have taken a long time to drain it out even after yeah. if they had already blocked yeah. it and um and then the other ones that landed how many was were how many successful paratroopers they they were further behind right in the in the woods and stuff
1: yeah because so during the night of the 5th to the 6th of June like I told you we have two airborne divisions which were dropped in the outskirts of Utah Beach but because of the weather conditions uh the the weather conditions was cloudy and um because all of the fields I would say were flooded it was almost impossible for the So the Parfenders, I would say, the Parfenders have the first paratroopers who jumped in Namundi, and their mission was to turn on what we call a transmitter. Once the transmitter is on, the transmitter sends a signal to each leading plane of the different squadrons, and once the signal is received by the leading planes, uh, I would say the paratroopers had to be ready to jump. But because of the weather conditions, some parotroopers jumped, I would say, far away from their drop zones. Uh, and also because the Germans were, I would say, um, op- open fire. Uh, because of that, it was impossible for the parotroopers to really turn on the transmitters, which means that the pilots, I would say, uh, didn't know where they had to tell to the paratroopers to jump. And also because of the weather conditions and because the pilots also were green boys. We we must not forget that. Mostly of the American soldiers on D-Day were green boys without any warfare experience. And because of that, the pilots had to break their way. And instead of flowering straight, the pilots had to break their way, flowering up, down, left, right, and right. So every... Everyone, all of the paratroopers were jumping everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But this was an advantage because the Germans did not know did not know if it was the real invasion or not. But so, unfortunately, a lot of paratroopers killed themselves by jumping in the swamps; they are drowned. And otherwise, others succeeded to make it back. I would say to their units or to create small groups of soldiers to attack the enemy positions
0: and when they were in the woods and it's pitch dark and foggy and drizzly um, yeah, how did world. how did the paratroopers know that it was uh, a person who was uh, on their side or was a german what was the oh, little the device pa- they had the paratroopers had the crickets so one
1: click if a paratroopers click one so one click has to be has a must to have for answer. sorry two clicks
0: Okay, so one click, two clicks. Okay, right. So <clears throat> when um, when the when the, sh- the the landing was on Utah Beach, as you said, they had four possible roads that they could take, and mm-hmm. that was the the plan. Was they're going to take all four, right?
1: No, the plan. So no, no, the plan for the Utah Beach. The soldiers of the first wave had to land between Exit Three and Exit Four. Why? because between the two exits, so between exit three and exit four, inland, there, there is a village of Saint-Martin-de-Varville. And in this village, there was an, um, a German artillery position, 155 mm millimeter guns, the same guns as Pointe du And those guns were able to change the outcome of the landing. So we, we needed to land for Utah between exit three and exit four. But because of the weather conditions, because of the waves, because of the smoke, and also because from, I would say, the undetected mines, because the Germans created a new kind of mine, of mines which were undetectable because they were made of plastic. The barges, I would say, were pushed two miles south and instead of landing between exit three and exit four for Utah, we land in front of exit number two.
0: Okay, so now they're in front of exit number two, which is yeah. where they weren't going to be. Um, but instead of being jammed up there, I understand that uh, there was a special American who was pumping everybody up and running up and down the beach. And and uh, yes. who was that and what uh, did he
1: say? So this guy was, so actually it was Gen- Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt Jr. So the son of Teddy Roosevelt, the American president. And actually, he was, I would say, was the first American soldier to land on the beach on the day. And he rapidly understood that something was wrong because instead of having two roads, so two exits, we had only one exit, so exit two. And he had a tough call because um, he said that now, he didn't say that, but he thought that should I tell my men we have to go back to the barges under enemy fire to land between exit three and exit four as it was planned? Or should I tell the Navy uh, we are landing at the wrong place, but we start the war now? And Roosevelt took the right decision and said, he said something like this. The world starts
0: here and now, in front of exit number two. So they were, uh, but he actually kind of gave them all a pep talk from what yeah. it sounded like. You know, he was like Mr. the cheerleader to get everybody motivated. And, and so when they yeah. got on exit two, how wide an area and how long an area was that to make a move? Uh, you mean You mean
1: in front of exit two?
0: Yeah, I mean how how big of a road did they have to, to was that was that that cut through the marsh, didn't
1: that? Oh yeah, because exit two runs from Utah all over the way, I would say, to Carentan. So to take position of to take posi- to take control of exit two, uh precisely the WN5. So uh, in WN in German is Winterstein nest. In English, German strong point number five, it took them 45 minutes but 45 then minutes. yeah 45 minutes to destroy this bunker which is which is nowadays just in front of exit two so nowadays it is the museum the utah beach museum so the utah beach museum was built on the wn5 on one piece of the wn5 and this position falls in 45 minutes on D day
0: wow so what i'm trying to get uh... The people who are listening to understand is how courageous these guys were and how much dedication they gave to us, you know. And so many of them uh, did die, you yeah, know. And, and
1: unfortunately, we unfortunately for the first US Army on D Day, we have about approximately 8,000 casualties. 8,000 casualties, but I will, al- I will always have respect for the World War II veterans because those guys were young, very young. They left the United States, their home, their families, their country to liberate Europe, to liberate France, to liberate Belgium, to liberate Netherlands, Luxembourg and also the Germans from the Nazis. And um, I will always have respect for them. And also, mostly of American soldiers on D-Day were green boys. Without warfare experience, they were petrified on D Day. So, on Omaha and Utah Beach, for example, for Utah Beach, those guys, those bo- American boys, were petrified by fear because the Germans were firing on them. And thanks to Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt succeeded in remotivating those guys. And thanks to him, Utah Beach will be under the control of the American army in less of 45 minutes. At 7.15 Utabich is under the control of the American army on D-Day.
0: That's absolutely amazing. And the sacrifice that those 8,000 did, and and you say young, I mean, I think my uncle was 19 when he was there. So I'm Mm. sure there was even young 18 year olds, 18, 19, 20, and probably not too much older. Um, But uh, that was just, um, just phenomenal. The other, um, the other thing that you, I understood, you showed us a couple of bunkers where the Germans had dug these big bunkers where, and they were all connected by tunnels underneath the ground. And uh, is there a name for that place?
1: Yeah, so we went together to the German battery of Asville, 10, 10 minutes drive from Utavish. So, this German battery is inland, in the outskirts, I would say, of Utah Beach. So, this is something interesting. On D-Day, we control Utah Beach. We control Utah Beach, but we are still receiving fire coming from two German batteries, which are inland. The Asville battery and the Kreisberg battery. And the Asville battery will fall under the command, under or under the control of the American army, Three days after the landing on the 9th of June, nineteen forty-four. So we control Utah, but we need to take down all of the German artillery positions.
0: And the uh, the ship, uh, the USS Nevada, sent one of yeah. those. Tell us about that. So it's, it's almost uh, yes, it's so. almost hard to visualize that they could do that from out in the ocean. Oh yeah, Tell the so. tell the audience what that was about.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, the USS Nevada. So the USS Nevada had a, lo- a lucky hit while he was, I would say, firing on the Israel Battery because one shell, uh, I would say, will enter by interred through the entrance of a gun. So all of the Germans, all of the German gunners were in- instantly killed by the blast. The shell pierced through the first wall, then bounced, and pierced through the second wall before to get out out of the bunker, and the shell didn't explode.
0: Yeah, and it's still there. Yeah, Part of it's, it's still, still there. Yeah, it's what still in a, the bunker. One yeah, piece. who? Who, who, in, who? built those bunkers? What um, was the, How was, it it, was they,
1: people, pe- um, people working against their will.
0: It was the people from France, the right, the farmers and everybody in the
1: area no, that was... No, not the, not the farmers. People working against them will, prisoners of war, political opponents, members of the Free French Forces, uh, who were arrested by the Germans, not the Germans.
0: Okay. So in, in, the, in that area... The uh, cemetery, cemeteries on in that area. They're down further, right down towards the towards Omaha Beach. Yeah, Vinalon
1: German uh, Cemetery.
0: Okay, but one of the big plans for this group that was coming in there, they were going to cut off the Germans from. Is it uh Osterburg? Am I saying that right? What Osberg? They, they, yeah, they were, were going to cut off the peninsula so that they would, so that the Germans <coughs> would be trapped on the peninsula.
1: Oh yeah, so the purpose of Utah Beach was to cut so Utah Beach is um is in Normandy, but precisely this part of Normandy is known has the Cotentin Peninsula. The real name of this area in Normandy is the Cotentin Peninsula, and we need to seize Cherbourg because Sherbrooke Sherbrooke, is, yeah Cherbrooke yeah, is a town on the coastline with an arbor. In deep water. But remember with what with what happened in Dieppe in August 1942, it's impossible to seize an harbor in deep water from the sea because all of the harbors on the coastline were too well defended by the Germans. So it means we will have to take an harbor by inland. And the purpose of Utah Beach, Utah Beach was added to the plan by Eisenhower six months before. The landing, and if we start, so how did uh, Utah? Utah was added to the plan six months before the landing, before June six. If we control Utah, we, we will be able to go all of the way to the west coast of the Cotentin Peninsula, so to cut the Cotentin Peninsula, and if we do that, we will be able to isolate Sherbrooke and to take Sherbrooke, we have three main actors. We have the 4th Infantry Division, so the 4th Infantry divisions, Division lands on Utah Beach on D-Day. After the landing, the 4th turns north, passing by the east coast to take Cherbourg. On the 10th of June, we have the 9th Infantry Division, and the 9th Infantry Division's Division lands on Utah Beach, then we'll cut the Cotentin Peninsula. And once the first mission for the knife is down, the knife turns north, passing by the west coast to take Sherbrooke. And finally, in the center, we have the men of the 79th Infantry Division. And Sherbrooke will fall on the 25th and 26th of June, 1944. So why two days? The Germans will take the time to destroy the entire harbor. And it will take more than three months, three months, for the American army to put it back in operational state.
0: So you could bring in bigger, bigger ships to bring in heavy-duty equipment and yeah, and and all of that, right? Yeah. So, um, so now we got the whole area cut off. They got the peninsula. Now, did they take most of those German soldiers that were in Cherbourg? Did they end up being um, prisoners, or did they? Fight till prisoners the end. Of war. Prisoners they were of war. they they, they yeah. knew that so, they were trapped, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they,
1: they were trapped, uh they were trapped, and the first prisoners taken okay.
0: in Normandy were sent in England and then in the US. Okay. So now so now after we've done that, they're on the march. Now let's go to Omaha Beach. And did we have more soldiers land at Omaha than landed at at um, Utah, I was at.
1: So for, for the landing at Utah Beach, we have one division. We have the 4th, the 4th Infantry Division and the Engineers. And at Homaha Beach, we had two Infantry Divisions. So on the eastern part, we have the men of the 1st Infantry Division, also known as the Big Red One. And on the western part, we have the 29th Infantry Division. So two divisions
0: for Omaha and one for Utah Beach. Okay, now we're doing the landing there and um, it, I kind of vaguely remember some of the things about the, the fire that was going on and the smoke and And can you kind of oh. describe how the whole landing <coughs> okay,
1: worked out? So, um, at Omaha Beach, we got here on the coastline. We got here and the idea was before the landing of the troops to send screaming rockets. And those rockets were supposed to hit the top of the hill. And the idea was to petrify all of the Germans because the Germans in position at Utah and Omaha. So this is only for the landing on Omaha. For the landing on Omaha, we planned, so the plan was first to fire screaming rockets to petrify the German soldiers, because they were not motivated in fighting, veterans of World War I were worried because they had maybe one or two sons fighting the Russians and also teenagers, 16, 17, or 18 years old. But because of the weather conditions, those rockets rockets, hit the front of the cliff, so the front of a hill. And because of that, we had a huge screen of smoke on the five miles of coastline at Homaa beach, which means when the first wave, I would say, was on its way to storm, to enter to attack Homaa beach, the soldiers started, I would say, to call them over, to pray God, and to do in their pants, because for them, it was impossible to see the coastline and impossible uh, to see the landmarks. And of course, the Germans opened fire on them and it was, I would say, a pure massacre. So of course the US Navy opened fire. Of course, the US Navy knew where were the enemy positions, but once again, because of this huge screen of smoke, the Navy opened fire, opened fire too short on the beach or too far away in land. Then after the shelling of the US Navy, we have heavy bombers who had to take over. But because of the weather conditions, those bombers were flying, flying above the clouds, and the pilots didn't have any visual on the coastline. It is, I would say, a great decision and an honorable decision because they wanted to prevent a friendly fire, but it was a huge mistake. The pilots waited three extra seconds before to drop the shells five miles inland. So on D Day at Homaa Beach, none in single German position was hit or destroyed by
0: the American Schenning. And so, how did they get them eventually? What was the process that? So, we now got them, then the Germans are all still in place. Were the so paratroopers the German- at all involved coming from behind, or were they? No no, 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 no,
1: we, 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 we didn't have any power troopers at Roma Beach. We we had only infantry troops, so the boys of the 29th and the boys of the 1st Infantry Division and the engineers. So the idea so the idea for the engineers was to create a gap in the seawall to move forward, to get out of the beach. The engineers do not fight, I would say, the Germans, but they were fighting against the seawall. Once the gap would have been created, the infantry troops will take the gap to get out of the beach. But because of this huge queen of smoke on the five miles of coastline, everyone was landing everywhere and nowhere and nowhere at the same time. And there is a general, his name is General Kota. He lands with a 20 knife on D Day. And I would say was desperate, disparate, desperate, desperate, or desperated.
0: I'm not sure.
1: Um, I would say, so General Cota was, I would say, uh, like Teddy Roosevelt. He, he was running to one point to be over on the beach, trying to remotivate those boys, petrified by fear. And he was under enemy fire. And at one moment, he sees coming in action the 5th Rangers Battalion. And the 5th Rangers Battalion were supposed to be the reinforcements for the 2nd Rangers at Point J but that is another story, and Kota will give the order to the Rangers of the Fifth Rangers to climb the hill and to attack the Germans by inland, and the Fifth Rangers will succeed in uh, will succeed to I would say to open to open a gap, to attack the Germans by inland and exit number one, so road number one on the western part of Omaha Beach will fall under the control of the American Army. At nine a.m., so two almost two hours and a half after the beginning of the landing, and on the eastern part, on the eastern part, um, exit four. So exit four will fall at two p.m. Uh, because there is a German soldier who was in position on the WN WN sixty two. So German strong point number number sixty two. His name is Ivan Sibolov, also known nowadays as the Beast of Omaha Beach. And Ivan Sibolov started to shoot with his machine gun from six thirty to two p.m. without any stop.
0: Yeah, he had like three feet of shells in his in his thing yeah. with him, right? It's like a,
1: yeah, because yeah. at, at two p.m. only three Germans were still alive on the Dublin sixty-two. Only three of them and Ainz was one of them. So of course Sivaloff knew no matter what the Americans will have the control of this position, so he was running for his life. And so he would be taken as prisoners of war, as prisoner of war, he would be sent in the U.S. But when the engineers So after the landing, the first mission for the engineers was to clean and to take off all of the vehicles destroyed on the beach, so we can bring supplies, equipment, and men. And also, the engineers had the mission. The engineers had the mission to go inside the enemy positions to make sure that everything is safe. And when the engineers went inside this machine gun position, where Ivan Sevalov was. And when they found more than three feet of empty shells, they were looking for him, for this unknown enemy soldier. But Sevalov was not crazy. He didn't tell, yes, it was me, because the American soldiers would have killed him no matter what. So he didn't tell, but it was him. But in the, in the 80s, 90s, I don't, um, I don't know precisely, But Sivalov has written a book about his warfare experience. So this is how we know that he was this German soldier inside this machine gun position, overlooking
0: Omaha He wrote a book. Yeah, The Dubourian 62. Yeah, that's very nice of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I understand he killed 800 to 1,500. You don't know how many, it's
1: a lot. In his book, he has written he killed approximately 2,000 American soldiers. So he didn't kill 2,000 American soldiers, but he approximately wounded 2,000 American uh, soldiers.
0: Pierre, when uh, you were driving us around, you took us to this little peninsula where you had like a like a little park, and there was kind of an interesting story about... about um, about one of the soldiers. Can you elaborate on that, please?
1: Oh, yeah. So you are talking about Frank Perigori, the Medal of Honor recipient. So after the landing, the mission of the 29th, so the 29th Infantry Division lands on Homa Beach on D-Day, and after the landing, the mission of the 29th is to turn west to make the connection with the Rangers at Ponji du and then to continue toward the west to go to a place which is known as Carentan, the town of Carentan. Why? If we do the connection in Carentan between the forces of Utah and the forces of Omaha, the American army will be able to create a real bridgehead in Namdi. But between Point du Hoc and Carentan, there is the village of Grand Cormizy, and Frank Perigori, um, was assigned the mission to open the road for the 29th to go to Grand Carmesie, because, of course, the officers were not full, they were not crazy, they didn't, they didn't want to send the old 29th to take, I would say, directly to Grand Carmesie. So they sent one unit, the unit of Frank Perigori, and Frank Perigori was a technical sergeant at this time, uh, on the 8th of June, 1944, was stopped in Grand Carmisi, just at the entrance of Grand Carmisi by um, a German position. And Frank Perigori was under enemy fire. And uh, it was not crazy. So at first, he called for the support of the tanks, but the tanks were too far away, still on Homa Beach. Then he called for the support of the Air Force, but because of, because of the weather conditions, because of the weather conditions, the planes, it was impossible for the planes to fly. But Frank Perigori knew that if he he wanted to save his life, but also his comrades, he had to take down, no matter what, this enemy position. So on its own, on initiative, Frank Perigori took the decision to run through the minefield without to know where the mines were under enemy fire. He jumped in the first trench. Then he attacked the enemy soldiers with his rifle, bayonet and grenades, and he took three prisoners of war and he killed five of them. In the meantime, his comrades were thinking that it was dead, but it was not dead, it was still alive, and Frank Perigori noticed that the trench was leading to the main machine gun placement. So Frank Perigori went back in a trench, continued to attack the enemy soldiers all by himself, and all by himself, he captured 32 German soldiers. So at all, he has taken 35 German soldiers. Then, so Frank Perigori would be recipient of the highest distinction for an American soldier in combat, which is the Medal of Honor, but Frank, Perigore, Frank Perigori will never know for what he has accomplished in Grand Carmesie, he will receive the Medal of Honor because he will be killed in the, in the village north of Saint-Lô, in the village of Couvin. So the story of Frank Perigori is interesting because when the United States were drawn into the Second World War, Frank Perigori was national guard, a National Guard of Virginia. And in 1942, so 1941, 1942, when the U.S. were drawn into the Second World War, the National Guards were reactivated and became once again infantry division. And Frank Perigori, at this time, so when he was still in Virginia, he was transferred on the east coast of Virginia to prevent, to see if the Germans will try to invade, I would say, the United States. And while he was patrolling, so a jeep fell in the water, a jeep with four American soldiers. So three of them uh, will make it to the, surf- to the surface. And, to, and those guys, uh, I would say, were still alive. But the fourth one, the last one, was still under the water. And Frank Perigori, uh, who didn't know his comrade, at the risk of his own life, will dive, dive three times to save the life of his comrade. but he didn't, he didn't even know. And Frank Perigori didn't know how to swim, so this is why this guy is amazing, and for what he has accomplished, but not in combat, he will be recipient of the highest distinction for an American soldier, which is the Soldiers of Medal. So Frank Perigori was a recipient of the Medal of Honor, and the
0: recipient of a soldier's medal. So he's one of the very few that's ever had yeah, both of them, I mean, if any. Yeah. So now, now, we, we're, um, now we're all to we're eventually Utah and Omaha, they get there, they, they hook up and they got to get to Carrot Home. And tell us about the, that, that battle and how that all took place.
1: So, um, after the landing, so the first objective of the American army is to make, it's to create a real bridgehead in Normandy. So we have to take the town of Carentan. Why? Because Carantan is between Utah and Nohoma Beach. If we take Carantan, we will be able to create a real bridgehead in Normandy and to prevent the Germans, I would say, to counterattack. So the connection in Carantan will take place on the 12th and the 13th of June, 1944 with the soldiers of the 101st Airborne and also the vanguard of the 2nd Armored, Armored Division who was coming from Omaha Beach. So on the 12th of June, on the 12th of June, so Carantan was liberated. The first objective for the American army after the landing is to go to Carantan. Why? Carantan is a town between Utah and Omaha Beach. And if we control Carantan, we would be able to create a real bridgehead in Nandi. So the battle, so Caranton, this connection was made on the 12th and on the 13th of June, 1944, with the soldiers of the 101st Airborne and also with the vanguard of the 2nd uh, Armored Division who was coming from Omaha Beach. Why were, do they,
0: you- were they successful and, and was that a big battle or was that... Oh. Uh,
1: yeah, okay, so the, um, so to go to Quarantan, so to go to Quarantin, uh the, the paratroopers of the 101st Herbron were arriving from the west, from the north of Quarantan. So exit two, exit two, the road, exit two runs from Utah all of the way to Carentan, All of the way to Quarantan, and the soldiers, for example, the soldiers of the 502nd, 502nd, power trooper infantry regiment had to take this road to make it to Carentan. And between the town of Saint-Combe-du-Mont to Carentan, there is a road. There is a simple road and, and on this road there is four bridges. One bridge was destroyed by the Germans and the three others were defended by the Germans. And that was the mission of the paratroopers, of some paratroopers of the 101st Airborne to take this road no matter what. And this road nowadays is known as the Purple Heart Lane because a lot of paratroopers were killed and wounded on this road by the Germans. And also you have other soldiers of the 101st Airborne who were passing... Um, by the north of Caron and the connection, I would say, between all of the soldiers of the 101st Airborne was made just in front of the train station. Well,
0: So that was one of the bigger battles. So um, I know you're getting tired, and I'll... Um, no <laughs> uh, try not to strain your brain too much. I know you've been you've been out there for ten hours already today. Yeah, 11. with with a, with eleven with a party that you toured around. Uh, I understand that, and it's close to nine o'clock your time. And and let's yeah. let's talk about the cemeteries. I'm just you know I saw that there was a German cemetery, American cemetery, and a and a Canadian. Is there a British one too? Yeah, in Bayou. Okay, so. In the German one, who buried all those soldiers? So
1: all of the soldiers were buried by what we call uh, teenagers' camps, teenager groups. So those, those teenagers in the name, I would say, of peace in Europe, so the teenagers were coming from many countries in Europe, and they had to work together.
0: To- but they ha- did they actually have... Are they really in? Are they in coffins or are they just in bags? Or how, What is underneath those? 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 Uh, all those stars, you know, all those crosses.
1: I think coffins. Uh, I am not a specialist, unfortunately, of the German cemeteries, but uh, yes, I think they are buried in coffins, the Germans.
0: Okay, and in the American one, there was what eighty-five hundred crosses.
1: 9,000, so for the Normandy American Cemetery, there is 9,388 American soldiers. So
0: some Americans, their bodies must have been sent home because more than that died, right?
1: Yes, so from 1944 to 1948, we had 12 temporary American cemeteries in Normandy. And in 1948, so the ABMC, the American Battle Monument Commission asked families where they wanted to have their beloved one of ones buried. So either at home in the U.S. or, or where they paid the ultimate sacrifice. So some of them were sent back to the U.S. Precisely, 36, 36% of American soldiers um,
0: were sent back. To the U.S. Okay, and it's maintained now by. Um, you took us there. We watched the, the American flags coming down, and the taps being played. And is that something that happens every single day?
1: Every every day by any ever.
0: Okay, and is that run by the French or by the Americans?
1: No, by the American, by the American Battle Monument Commission.
0: I see. Okay, so um. What haven't I asked you yet that you would, you think is important that people should know? Um,
1: I think so. For me, the Normandy campaign is the longest campaign in Europe, about 100, 100 days. Uh, World War II in Europe for the American army, it's not only D-Day because, because of Hollywood nowadays, everyone is focused on D-Day. But on D Day was only the beginning. After, after D Day, we have the Battle of Carentan, the Battle of Cherbourg, the Battle of Le Dupuis. For example, for the Battle of Le Dupuis, which took place between the 3rd and the 6th of July, 1944, we had unfortunately 15,000 casualties for the American army. Then we have the Battle of Saint Lo. We have this huge German counterattack in the early days of. August, in a place called Mortin, where four SS Panzer divisions were attacking Mortain, um, And then we have the closing of a gap of Falaise-Chambois, uh, where about 100,000 Germans were trying to escape, and those soldiers were completely surrounded by all of the actors of the Allied forces, the Poles, the Canadians, the American army. British the pre French forces, so the whole Normandy campaign is, I would say, is important because if we do not control, like I, like we were talking before, if we do not control Carentan, we will not control Cherbourg. If we do not control Sherbrooke, we will not have, I would say, any options to bring supplies. So I am agree. I am agree. We had artificial harbors, but uh, if we want to bring, I would say, bigger ships, we will need, no matter what, an arbor and deep water. So we control Sherbrooke, Then we need to control Lai Dupuy. Then we need to control Saint-Lô. So Saint-Lô was completely wiped out of the map. 95% of the town was completely destroyed by the American or by the German shelling. Then we have this huge operation, uh, which is Operation Cobra. The St. Lo Breakthrough, which took place on the 25th of July, 1944. This operation had the purpose to destroy once and for all the German lines in Normandy. Uh, now, the whole Normandy campaign is, I would say, is impotent. It, each step is important. If we do not control this town, we will not control the other one, etc., etc.,
0: etc. Right. Now, does that go... Did they go straight to Paris from there, or did they just cut across and go straight to to Brussels uh, or
1: Belgium? So after Operation Cobra, so Operation Cobra took place on the 25th of July, 1944. So after this operation, so this operation is a huge success. We can finally launch the third army of Patton. And at this moment, so the third army of Patton was in Brittany, the first U.S. Army, I would say, was in the south part of Normandy. So we had we had American soldiers on their way toward Brittany. The others were, were doing a semicircle to go to Paris. Also, in the meantime, we had the landing on the 15th of August 1944 in the south of France in the French Riviera. And the American divisions were, were landing in the south of France, were fighting uh, toward, I would say, on the east parts of France toward the famous Alsace-Lorraine. So I would say we had infantry divisions, American infantry divisions in Brittany, fighting also toward Paris. Once Paris was liberated, American divisions went all the way to, I would say, toward the east of France, while others were fighting up north toward Belgium. Uh, For example, the 79th, so the 79th infantry division lands at Utabich, takes Cherbourg, then (coughs) went to La Dupuis. (coughs) I'm sorry. So then went to La Dupuis, then the 29th continues toward the south of Normandy, and then do I would say, like a semicircle toward Paris. And this division, this division was the first American division to cross the Seine River at the southwest of Paris in a town called mont Once the Seine River is, is crossed by the 79th, the 79th went all the way to the border between France and Belgium, and then the 29th went toward the famous Alsace Lorraine to the east of France.
0: Yeah, I was going to say on the in the movies it makes it sound like Paris is like uh, right next to Normandy, and I know oh, I was yeah. on a train. I was on a train going hundred miles an hour, and it was two and a half hours to get there. So if so, I was walking, it would take me days. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like the, the the image you have that it's right there. It's not right there.
1: It's no distance. so if you look on the map i also i am agree paris is not far away from nandy two hours and a half by car but back in the world we didn't have all of the all of the highways and something which is really in, important we we have to talk about the famous or infamous edgeros so an edgero is a line of trees if you have a chance to come here in nandy if you are in the middle of nowhere for example in the outskirts of Utah Beach or not far away from Saint-Lô. It is impossible to see which is in in front of you. It is impossible because Namundi, the western part of Namundi, the Cotentin Peninsula, the nickname of the Cotentin Peninsula is the Agero County. It's not, I would say, it's not an open country. You have to fight field by field ditch by ditch, uh, A-0 by A-0. You know, uh, it's not a problem for the Germans. We lose one A-0, no problem. We lose one field, no problem. We will fight and we will defend the next one. For example, for the 29th, so the 29th lands at Omaha Beach on the day. The objective of the 29th is to go all of the way to Carantan and then to turn south to take saint Lo. Nowadays, from Omaha to Salo, it's about I would say thirty-five minutes drive, which is nothing. For the 29th, it took forty-one days from Omaha to Salo because you need to fight field by field, tree by tree, edge by edge, house by house. It's like it's like little World war one. So this is why uh, Patton. So General Patton was the officer who had the idea of Operation Cobra, but it was General Bradley, I would say, who received all of the credits because he was the commander of the first U.S. Army. This is why we have launched Operation Cobra to destroy once and for all the enemy lines in Normandy because uh, we want to get out of Normandy. We are fighting since now one month and a half. At first, the American army had to go, had to enter uh, Brittany in July and we are still in Namundi. So this is why we have launched Operation Cobra, because it's not an open country and we want to get out as quick as
0: possible out of Nanandi. Yeah, Because the farms and the fields and all that gets a little easier. You can see ahead. Um, going back in the beginning uh, from what I remember from one of the uh, movies I saw at the museum, the um, the actual Atlantic, the the, the 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 Western Front started way up at the top of Normandy, uh, Norway, and went all the way down to to uh, Normandy, Spain. to, to Spain. Spain, right. And so Rommel put all this barrier up. Now there was a place where they thought that there was going to be the, the D-Day type launch was going to be, and they and they put Patton up there. And yeah, I, so, tell us that little story, because I think that was pretty good because it was a good distraction.
1: Okay, so we wa- uh, So since 1941, the Allies knew how to decrypt the Enigma machine. So the Enigma machine was used by the Germans to send the encrypted messages. But the Germans didn't know that the Allies were aware that the Germans were expecting a landing in the north of France, in a place called Calais, because it is the shortest way between England and Calais. So for this reason, um, the American army took the decision to create the first United States Army Group, which is a fake ghost army. So General Patton was chosen to be the commander of his fake army because with the Germans were afraid of General Patton. Of course. Patton was so popular. And for the landing, for the landing, I would say, to make believe the Germans, that the landing will take place in Calais, so in the north of France, not far away from England, we need, I would say, a good, a, the, the very best American general. So Patton was chosen to be the commander of this fake army. Also, uh, the American army created pneumatic tanks, wooden barges, wooden planes, And all of this fake army was gathered in the southeast of England, close to Calais, to make believe the Germans, but the real landing will take place there in Calais. So in reality, the landing will take place in Normandy. So we have chosen Normandy because we have beaches made of sand, and it is impossible to land on beaches made made of pebbles. So this is another story because... We, um, at first, we tried to, to land on beaches made of pebbles in Dieppe in August 1942, but this is another story, but it didn't happen. Uh, it was a failure. Actually, the landing in Dieppe was a huge mistake. So we have to land on, on beaches made of sand, and also we have, we must to have a harbor in deep water nearby. And also the landing spot must to be in a radius from England of from 150 kilometers so the, plan, so the plans can provide an support. And the only two places with all of these options were Calais and Normandy. But like I told you, Calais is not a good option. Too obvious, too well defended. So we choose Normandy. But nevertheless, to make the Germans focus on Calais, we have created, yeah. we have created the first United States Army Group, BISFAC Army.
0: So all of this planning and everything put together and was General Eisenhower was in charge of everything. Is that yeah. correct? And he yes. was the uh, what? what was he called? The supreme general the, super,
1: the supreme uh, the, the supreme commander of the allied forces.
0: Yeah, and I think in our country we don't give General Eisenhower enough credit because um, yeah. this was just a m- massive undertaking beyond beyond anybody's creative imagine, imagination and he was able to put it all together and you know there was a few other <clears throat> people as well that 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 you know that went along with it all the other his generals that he had under him everything it takes takes a team effort to get this whole thing done now do you think Rommel was a good general on yeah, the German well, side? That-
1: uh, yeah Rommel was uh, was the best to me, was the best German officer, the best field marshal. Because Rommel knew that the landing will take place in Normandy. He knew because in 1940, 41, 42, 43, or 44, there was not a single German tank unit in Normandy. And it was important for the Allies to land in a place where there was not a single enemy tank unit. Because the the Panzers were one of the worst nightmares, the biggest, I would say the biggest nightmare for the American soldiers. And Rommel knew that the landing would take place there because of that. And also, Rommel wanted to have the panzers in Normandy before the invasion. Why? Before to be the commander of the Atlantic War. So Rommel was... The commander of a German army of a German army fighting in North Africa. And in North Africa, Rommel was defeated because the Allies had the control of the entire airspace. And the Allies, because of that, destroyed a lot, a lot of German tanks. Why? Because the Luftwaffe was fighting mostly over German air force, the Luftwaffe was fighting the Russians. So, Rommel knew, no matter what, the Allies would control the entire airspace, airspace after the landing, which means if the tanks, the German tanks, have moved in Normandy after the landing, they will not have any protection from the sky, because the Luftwaffe, mostly of the Luftwaffe, is, was fighting against the Russians on the Eastern Front. So, this is, I would say, Rommel knew that the landing will take place in Normandy.
0: So you did tell us that um, Rommel knew that the Germans were eventually gonna lose and there was a potential overthrow of of Hitler that went foul, but he knew about it. So you can, what was his uh, ultimatum? So Rommel knew, so Rommel knew
1: that the only way I would say, so no, Rommel knew that the Germans it would be impossible for the German army to fight on two different fronts. So Rommel wanted, I would say, to prevent the Allies to destroy the Atlantic War. But thanks to God, I would say, uh, the landing was a success. And in July 1944, some German officers wanted to take down Adolf Hitler with the famous Operation Valkyrie. So Rommel knew, Rommel knew about this operation. But he didn't want to kill Hitler. He was agreed to take him off out of a German government, but not to kill Hitler. But nevertheless, this Operation Valkyrie was a mistake. Hitler was still alive. And Hitler, Adolf Hitler, learned that Rommel knew about this operation. But Rommel didn't say anything. And because of that, The Nazis will give uh, the Nazis have given Rommel two options. The first one, we will kill your family and you, or you will commit uh, commit suicide.
0: Suicide. Yeah, suicide.
1: And Rommel will take the decision to commit suicide.
0: Yeah. Well, he saved his family. It was a. was there was no good outcome of that one but it's uh, it's amazing if they if they were successful I would have think that the Germans might have might have thrown in the towel much earlier and saved lots of lives you know Um, well um, Pierre I want to really thank you for for um, where you know we're wrapping it up here I want to thank you for um, all your time and and I know how exhausted you are and (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we'll forgive you if for it don't. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. We'll fix it. But um, and it's really what I really wanted the Americans who are listening to understand the sacrifice. And you know, this happened in 1944 and for 1945. And the sacrifice that uh, the grand uh, mostly our grandparents or our uncles, depending on how old we are. You know what they had to do and what they went through and. I mean, thousands survived, but thousands didn't survive. But the whole effort um, was just incredible. I mean, people today complain about the slightest little thing and Mm -hmm. what we had to do to keep our country free and to free up France and to free up England, you know, and give everybody the option of a democracy, how precious it is and how we, we mustn't forget. That's the thing. And I think we need to remember we mustn't forget. I mean there was a whole lot more but this but the whole D-Day thing in Normandy is so so critical and I really suggest everybody put Normandy on your bucket list if you haven't been I think you you need to see it and uh, we will have a um, we will have on our website wmexboston.com under partners uh, if you want to hire Pierre and his and Rudy his partner um you can call and and he will show you everything we just talked about, and he's very good. He draws pictures on the sand and gives you a full idea of what you're looking at and everything. So uh, again, uh, that'll be on our website. So be on up and up in a few days. So again, I want to thank you, Pierre, for all your time and for every experience. And of course, I will never forget it. My grandson Joshua he will never forget it either. It was uh, the greatest few days that we could ever spend and um, and anybody needs any traveling advice you can contact me <laughs> mm-hmm. so again this is uh, tony lagreca and this is the um, courage to hope and you can see where we had a lot of courage from a lot of our men and women back in world war ii and let's not ever forget them and uh, let's take care of them after all all the veterans come back right after our show is the veteran's voice so thank you very much